So I um, was asked to speak again today, and it's interesting. You, Those of you who know me know the first thing I do is, of course, I go to the Lord in prayer and say, Father, I'm just your servant here. What is it you would like me to share uh, with my brothers and sisters? And so he gave me a couple sources. It was interesting. One was uh, about five or six weeks ago, I was with the youth at, because again, right, typecasting, I'm like one of them. Uh, I got to go to camp with the kids for a week, and the key verse uh, during that camp really spoke to me. So I'm going to use that as part of the message today. And then the second part came actually from our men's group. We meet, this is a commercial, every Friday morning at 6.30, um, we actually meet down at uh, the Egg and I, down at Midway and Park, uh, for some great time of fellowship and some Bible study. And the verses that we covered that day really spoke to me. And I realized there's a connection here. And as I just kind of prayed more about it, God just really put it in my heart. And so today, with some joy and some excitement, I'm going to share kind of what he just shared with me and revealed with me. And so uh, this is a message, I believe, given to me from, uh, from our Lord. So uh, a couple sources of it. Now, hopefully, this is not going to fall over again. I got this thing here because I'm actually, you guys aren't used to me using notes. But because there was so much that was actually shared with me, I said, okay, I've got to use some notes here. So I may also have to put my glasses on periodically. But I'm hoping this will not fall over on me. We're going to give this a try. Um, on the screen, there should be some slides coming up here. I use the topic bewitched and bewildered, and you'll see why in just a moment as we take a look at the scripture. But this is um, going on here. This is the third time that I've seen, if you look at the next slide, this is the third time that Peter's kind of been attacked. And a lot of us don't really think about this. But if you remember, Peter was kind of the foundation of the church, right? He was, in fact, he was given a new name. He was born Simon and Jesus gave him a new name. He says, you are Peter, which means the rock or the stone, Cephas in Greek. And he says, upon this truth, when he gave the truth, he says, I shall build my church. Because what did Peter do? Peter, uh, Jesus asked Peter a very key question that he asked every single one of us. We will answer this at some point in our life. He says, who do you say that I am? And Peter declared, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus commended him for that. In fact, he gave him a new name. And he says, upon this truth, this foundation, I shall build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overcome it. But guess what? Immediately Satan's threatened. Didn't like that. So what happens? Back in Matthew 16, right after being given a new name, Jesus starts to tell his disciples some incredible truths that probably scared them. For the very first time, he shared with them the details. He said, guys... I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of the chief priests and the elders of the church, of, of the Jews. And he says, I'm going to be tortured, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be killed. And after three days, I'm going to rise. And he shared that with them, and the Bible tells us, in detail. Well, Peter, being Peter, takes the Lord aside and rebukes Jesus. Can you imagine? He rebukes Jesus and said, Lord, surely this will never happen to you. Now, did, Jesus, did Peter have good intentions? He thinks he's going to protect the Lord. But Jesus saw immediately the motivation behind it. He knew who was behind that. And he says, get behind me, Satan. He says, you don't have in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of man. And poor Peter, you can imagine he was probably shaken at that. He had no idea Satan was messing with him. But he was. Then later, you see this actually recorded in Luke 22. Now Jesus takes Peter aside. And he uses his name twice. He actually uses his birth name. And you can hear the love and the tenderness. And you can hear the remorse in Jesus' voice. I can almost hear it. And he, I can just see him putting his arm around him. He says, Simon, Simon. Not Peter. Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. 
But he says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now think of it. Jesus said a number of things to Peter right there. He said, first off, he said, Satan asked permission to sift you as wheat. And I gave him permission. Because then he said, I have prayed for you. That's the other thing he said. I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And then he told him he's going to have victory. He says, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Almost every word that comes out of Jesus' mouth just should beg many, many questions. But he said that to Peter. And what happened right after that? Peter says, of course, in his cockiness, I relate to Peter sometimes. Peter said, uh, Lord, I'm actually really willing and ready to go to, to, to prison and even to death for you. And remember, Jesus had just said, you're going to be sifted as wheat. And what happened right after that? Jesus said, um, I'm sorry, Peter. Now he's giving him his title. Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. Whoa. Now, who was behind that? Jesus already said, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. So we know Satan's going to mess with Peter. Did Peter know? No. See, that causes me a little bit of concern. I don't know exactly. Because he's a deceiver, because he's conniving, and because he knows me, I never will know sometimes that Satan might be trying to mess with me. One of the reasons I'm in community with y'all is I need you. Because sometimes you have to be the one speaking truth to me. Bob, Satan's messing with you. So that was the second time I saw it in Scripture. And now we're about to find a third time, starting in Galatians 2.11. And the reason I know this came from Satan is because um, Paul approaches Peter, and he actually tells Peter he stands condemned. Another translation, you stand blamed. Jesus does not condemn or blame. Only Satan can do that. And so we know Satan's about to mess with the church. The church is, is, is in its early stages. It's in its infancy. And something serious is happening. It's happening in the church. And it could be devastating if it's not addressed. Let's take a look at it. Galatians 2.11. I'm going to take a look at parts of it. I definitely need my glasses to read it on here. Now that I'm looking at that. So let's take a look at this. He said... Um, so this is now Paul speaking. He said, when Cephas... That's Peter... He said, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, right, James, one of the apostles, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, right, the laws, the lawmakers. The other Jews, in fact, joined him in his hypocrisy so that... By his hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So let's talk about this, just this slide for a little bit. Um, First off, in come some zealots who started to influence the church. They started to tell people, guess what? It's not, Jesus is not enough. You've got to abide by some rules. Um, What you really have to do is you have to follow some of the Jewish customs. And then, with Jesus, you can be saved. Imagine, this is what they were telling them. And even Peter, now remember, Peter's the head of the church. Peter starts to get influenced by this. Up until this point, Peter's living in joy and in peace, and he's going out telling the story of Jesus, and he told the story of Jesus to all the people in Galatia less than a year earlier. And they formed this church, and it was a beautiful, wonderful thing. And all they knew was the grace of God through Jesus Christ saved them, and they were living in joy. And then some people started to come in and throw in some rules. And even Peter got impacted. 
whoa. Peter started to say, huh, I need to fit in. I need to be popular here. They're not exactly throwing the Bible completely under the bus here, but uh, there might be something to this. And he started to move away from the people that he was actually called to and loved. Started to move away from them. Started being influenced by those other folks. So think of this. It's our natural desire to want to fit in. It's our natural desire to be part of the crowd. It's our natural desire actually even to control and to judge others. Did you know it's our natural tendency to do that? Right? Or am I the only one in here? I know. Okay, good. Sounds like by... But maybe you guys kind of know this too. Now, this is a serious issue that's going to get put to bed about a year later at the Jerusalem Council. But this was happening in the church. People were saying, well, Jesus plus nothing does not equal everything. It has to be Jesus plus other stuff. Right? And so this is a serious, serious issue. And I believe God sent Paul to the church at just the right time. Just the right time. This is supernatural stuff because Satan's messing with the church. So let's go on and take a look at the next part. Uh, The next verses. Are they up there? Yeah, he says, so when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all. Woo-hoo. I'd like to be there. He said to him, um, you're a Jew, and yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. Well, so how is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not, gent- not sinful Gentiles, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. He did it publicly in front of everybody. Now, it's interesting here. Paul did not use his authority as an apostle to confront Peter. What did he use? Look at the first line. He used the truth of the gospel. He used the truth of the word to confront Paul. It wasn't, or to confront, sorry, to confront Peter. So it wasn't Paul in his position. Now, here's what he was doing. By, uh, by disassociating from the Gentiles, Peter was actually joining these people who kind of came into the church. And he was implying that, yeah, you know something, they're right. You really kind of got to be a Jew first, or at least act like one, and then you can be saved. So he was kind of, by that, implying this. Think of what the impact would have been to the church had God not sent Paul to confront it. What would have been the impact? We probably would have had still a Jewish congregation who at least had Jesus as a prophet, and that would be all it is. Think of the impact on us had God not sent Paul to confront this. So even Peter, even Peter's confronted. And the reason he did it in public, he didn't take him aside and kind of rebuke Peter. He did it in public. Why? Because this is serious stuff. The very future of the church is at stake. And he had to do it publicly. Now, was Paul mean to Peter? Did he hate Peter? No. He loved the truth. And he had to confront the truth with the truth. Good enough? So that's what he's saying there. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Take a look at the next page. So here's what happens. He says, so we too, Paul's continuing these two. He says, so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus. The reason I have it on this sheet, it's bigger and I can read it. Um, We put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. In other words, if I go back and rebuild all the law again, right? So here's what happens. A couple things. First off, the Galatians had stopped submitting to Christ living in them. Think of what they did. They had fallen in love with something that they thought was better. I love rules. 
Makes me feel good when I follow them. Right? They thought they had something better. Also, think of this. Has this evil influence, and I call it evil, right? It is. It's simple. Is it still in the church today? Absolutely. We just have a hard time conceiving that Jesus plus nothing is actually everything. There has to be something more to this. There has to be something I can do to make it better. That's heresy, folks. That's not the truth of the gospel. Now, the cool thing was is that, um, remember, Paul didn't actually say that they were heresies. He actually used the word hypocrisy. In other words, guys, you know the truth. You're just not living according to it. You haven't rejected the truth. What you've done is you've kind of added to it. You're not living according to truth. Okay? Now, the thing is, the problem, part of the problem with this is that since we like to live on rules and regulations, we will ultimately add to them. Anytime we decide we need to live by rules, one or two is never enough. Ten or twenty is never enough. Thirty or forty is never enough. 630-some might be barely enough, right? Maybe, because we just keep adding, because there has to be more rules. If you have a rule for this, there has to be more rules. So where, where do the rules stop? At the cross. At the cross. So let's keep going. Let's look at the next verse. It says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I don't set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Did you hear that? That's pretty powerful words, is it not? He's very clear here. So one of the things that often we wrestle with is, are we good enough? Yes. Every single person in this room, God has already accepted you. You are good enough. You can't do anything else to earn your salvation. Nothing. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated his love for us in this, is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before I ever knew there was even a Jesus, he died for me. Why? He declared, I'm good enough. I'm worth it. So if anyone's here wondering, am I worth it? Am I good enough? Yes, you are. Before you even knew there was a Jesus, he died for you. Unconditional. He died for you. You just have to accept that gift. So even in my deepest sin, I was worth Christ dying a terrible death on the cross when I was at my most miserable. And going forward in my darkest days, I was worth him dying for me. That's called grace. Praise God for that. Works can never bring salvation to a lost person. And by the way, works will never keep your salvation for a saved person. And we need to live in that freedom as well. Folks, if one iota, one molecule of my salvation is dependent upon my works or my effort, I am done. You know why? First off, the standard is absolute perfection. Sin cannot exist in the presence of Almighty God. The only way he can see me as acceptable is he looks through the eyes of his son and he sees me. Ephesians 1 and 2 says that Christ Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And where are we? Look at chapter 2, verse 6. We are seated in him at the right hand of the Father. That's how he sees me today. Do I feel worthy? No. He declared me worthy. The only thing that allows me to sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven today and him to see that position 
is through what Christ did for me. I cannot earn it, and I can't work well enough or behave well enough to keep it. Does that make sense? So a challenge I have with someone who says I can lose my salvation is this. First off, how bad do you have to be to lose it? Secondly, how good do I have to be to get it back? The standard is absolute perfection. Praise God, I can't do it. Those of you who have been attending um, Scott uh, Cook's classes on Sunday morning, you guys know this. I'm preaching to people who already know it. And if you're missing out on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, get up early and get there. You will be incredibly blessed. So I'm not saying anything to you Those to go to that class. I'm not saying anything new to you. Are we good on this? This is serious stuff in the church, and Paul sent by God to confront it. Because Jesus plus anything else, you're right back to laws again. Okay, let's continue on. Now, uh, Paul's going to address, in chapter 3, he's going to start now talking to everybody in the group. So he's already done this publicly, but now he's talking to the whole group. He says, oh, you foolish Galatians. Look at the word he uses. Who has bewitched you? You see why the topic of this message was bewitched and bewildered? Question mark. He says, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I like this. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by works and means of the flesh? Now look at this. Boy, word. Paul used this word bewitched. That's a strong word. I don't want anybody to ever call me bewitched. That's a strong word. He essentially says you're under the spell of the Jewish religion. You're so far from the truth. He's almost like saying, I can't believe you guys are doing this. Was I here in vain? Can you hear the desperation in Paul's voice when he, reads, when he writes this to them? Guys, what are you doing? You heard the truth. It was clearly portraying. I myself was a lost, miserable killer of people. Do you not see who I am as a result of Christ? He clearly portrayed Christ crucified as the only way to salvation. And they're giving that up. He had to address this. The consequences to us would have been serious had he not. They became gullible. And like the rest of us in our human nature, there has to be something a little bit more I can do. This is too fantastic for me not to earn it somehow. Has to be. They got bewitched. And that was the word he used. And then continuing, wrapping up the Galatians. Here's what he says. He says, um, Have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain. So again I ask. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law? Or by believing what you heard? Wow. That's pretty strong. So I guess the question I have for us. Am I living according to the law or am I living by grace? Am I still trying to earn the salvation that Christ died for? Or am I instead simply wrecking the gratitude of a Savior who died for me? And so I want to really, I want to, I want to be better for two main reasons. One, out of an incredible gratitude for what he did for me. Rescued me from death and gave me an eternal life in him. How can I ever pay him back? I can't. But I want to be a better person because I, I owe him that. And that's why I want to. Not because I have to, but because of the incredible love and gratitude I have for my Savior. Does that make sense? Second reason I want to do this, 
is that what he tells us is life is a whole lot better when I submit to him. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. He says, they're a whole lot better than me. In fact, he says, uh, what he tells us in, uh, in John 15, 5, well, our, our youth know this. Girls, anybody want to volunteer to tell us what John 15, 5 says? I'm going to put you on the spot. If you want to, do you want to? Okay. They don't. But these are Jesus' words. He said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He said, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But then he says, apart from me, you can do what, girls? Nothing. He's pretty clear. So I want to abide in him, so I want to bear more fruit. Life is better when I submit to him. Now, he gives me still free will. I have not lost my human nature when I got saved, unfortunately. There's a war going on inside of me. And Bob keeps wanting to take control of stuff. And he says, uh, he will let me do that. Until he takes me home to heaven, I have free will to kind of act as I want. But I believe that his will for me is best and none better. And I want to please him, and I want to be better, because I believe life is better submitted to him. And I will tell you firsthand, some of you have known me for 20 years, believe it or not. I know I look young. Uh, But some of you have known me for 20 years, and you know I'm a different person today. Because bit by bit, uh, God is changing me. And I believe bit by bit he will, because life is better when I submit to him. Okay. Makes sense, right? So, how did the Galatians get bewitched? Three things. Three serious things, folks. This is why Paul had to confront the church. First, they took their eyes off the cross. They started going to works. Took their eyes off the cross. Everything that was needed for my salvation is not the cross. Everything. 100% of what is needed for my glorification was done at the cross. 100% of what's needed for my sanctification was done where? At the cross. The cross opened the way for the Holy Spirit to enter me, to help me live a better life. So they took their eyes off the cross. And it's all about what Jesus did. Nothing about what they did. Second thing they did, they muted the ministry of the Holy Spirit. How do we know the Holy Spirit entered them? Because Jesus said they would. So Jesus has taken up residence in them, and they've decided, um, that's great, you live inside of me, but I want some rules. And we're going to live according to them. And what a shame. I want to talk in a, little, in a couple minutes more about the Holy Spirit But this one was huge. It was through the cross that I know, because he told me, not because I feel differently, I know that Almighty, Holy God lives inside of me. Why? Because Jesus told me. (laughs) That's why. And I want to submit to him, and I have proven in my life, I have proven through example after example after example that submitting to him, that he actually can change me, and he will. And he actually influences many of my circumstances. I've learned to submit to him because life is better submitted to him. So I'm not trying to convince you to do it. I'm just telling you in my case, I can't imagine going back to the old life. Can't even, can't even imagine it. So the Holy Spirit becomes really important. They muted the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is important because even though I've been saved, I still also exist as Bob. And he says, the more that you submit to me, he says, I'll actually bear fruit. Now think of this. I want you to use the analogy of a tree. What happens to deciduous trees in the fall? The leaves fall off them. That's what we think. Uh, The leaves don't fall off the tree. The leaves are pushed off the tree by the new life that's behind the leaf. Have you ever chopped down, if you've ever chopped down a tree in the summertime, if I go chop down one of the hardwood trees in my yard and chop it down now and it falls and I don't touch it, you know what happens to the leaves? Stay on the tree. 
Dead leaves stay on a dead tree. You seen the analogy, folks? Dead leaves stay on a dead tree. It takes a really, really strong wind. In fact, I were up at uh, uh, Benton and Lynn's land, and they had a bad storm. And in the summertime, this was, this was two, three years ago, and it knocked over a huge oak tree. It was old and kind of beat up a little bit, but a tree was in bloom, and it knocked it over. Those leaves, this is about three years ago, the leaves are still in the tree. It's dead in the woods, and the leaves are still in the tree. See, using this for us, only if I submit to the Holy Spirit working inside of me, I'm trusting he'll push off my dead leaves with new life that's behind it. Does that make sense? So think of it like that. Now, because um, God keeps, me, keeps my free will with me, he says, Bob, if you want to be a dead tree, the dead leaves are going to stay on you. But I am so, son, I am so sorry, because I am aching to push them off of you and give you new life. And it's the same for all of us. So they forgot about the, the Holy Spirit. And then they also forgot about the message of faith. They thought it has to be faith plus something. And isn't that our human nature? It has to be faith plus something. It sounds too easy. And yet it's not, because you actually give up everything. The verse, the salvation verse that we often use is Romans 10.9. And what does Romans 10.9 says? It first off, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, not just that he's the Son of God, Satan knows he's the Son of God. If I confess that Jesus is Lord of my life and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, then it says you're saved. And so the first thing I have to do is declare him Lord of my life and believe that what he did was died for me. There's my salvation. Now, knowing that I have the Holy Spirit resident in me, I get to submit to him and say, Father, would you help me to be a better man? Would you help me to be a better servant? Would you help me to be a better husband, a better father, a better friend? Would you do that for me? Father, I want to submit to you every single day and start taking off the bad old parts that are Bob and make me a new person. And I want to give to you all the praise and glory for that. Does that make sense? It's not that hard, but we make it difficult because we say it has to be more difficult. Okay, moving along. Faithful. Um, the last part is that faithful one, that's really, I'm not faithful, but God is. He gets, he's gotten my attention so many times. Boy, oh boy. So let's take a look at the 10, next slide, let's take a look. 10 present day signs that we can get bewitched. I'm going to definitely have to read it on here. First one is that there are few, if any, fruits of the Spirit exhibited. Um, if you've got your Bibles with you, because I didn't make the slide, if you've got your Bibles with you, take a look at Galatians 5.22. If you've got your Bibles with you, take a look at Galatians 5.22. In 5.19, next three verses, he actually starts to list the fruit of the human nature. And I got that in spades. I can tell you, I can do that all day long. That's who I was. But then he goes to Galatians 5.22, and he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, patience, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. He says, against such as these there is no law. So he gives nine fruits of the Spirit. Now, since it's fruit of the Spirit, where do do those nine things come from? The Holy Spirit of God. Notice it does not say the fruit of the Bob. (laughs) The fruit of the Bob is verses 19, 20, and 21, okay? Let's get that straight. If you've got your Bibles open... Verses 19, 20, 21, that's the fruit of the Bob, right? But the fruit of the Spirit are those nine things. Now, look at those nine things. A couple things about this. First off, that is the very character and nature of our Lord. He has all nine in absolute perfection, complete. So here's what happens. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not about me producing. It is about me bearing the fruit that he produces. 
It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not the fruit of the bob. Now, I want to ask you, looking at those, how many of you in here can work and how hard do you have to work to love better? How many of you through your work can gain more peace? Here's one that we often think we can work at. I am not a naturally patient person in my nature. I know a few of you are kind of smiling at me. Stop it. Uh, so I am not by my nature a naturally patient person. And I don't know about the rest of you. Anybody else in here not a naturally patient person? Okay, there's two or three of you. The rest of you are liars. So there's two or three people in here that are not naturally patient people. How many of you, like me, have said, you know, I just got to be more patient with him or her or them or whatever? Anybody else done that besides me? How well did it work for you? (sighs) Right? No. But here's the promise from my Lord. He says, Bob, submit to me. Give that to me. And he says, and I can actually give you the fruit of patience. Really? Yeah. But are you willing to give it all up to me? Wow, I want more of that. So here's what I want to do the rest of my life. I'm hoping and praying for for the Lord, because he says he would. I want to submit to him more and more because that's what I want to define me. That's my heart's desire. It really is. I want to be a person who loves more. Despite my circumstances, despite my ability, I want to be a person who has more joy and more peace despite my circumstances. I want to be a person who is more patient. I want to be a person who's more gentle. I want to be a person who's more faithful. I want to have more self-control. I want to have all this stuff. I want to be good. I want to be gooder, right? I want all this. And I can't do it on my own. But here's what this promise is. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And his promise is implied here. If I submit to him, he will bear the fruit. That's what I want. Fair enough? Now, when people start to introduce legalism into a church and rules, what you will notice, watch for it, you probably will not see them lose love. You likely won't see them ooze peace or joy. I know you're thinking in your minds, do I know people like that? They're living according to rules. And when you live according to rules, it's never good enough. And Jesus already said you're good enough. Stop living according to rules. So there's the first sign. You might be bewitched. Then we others won't take quite as long. Uh, The second one says, with my glasses on, the second one says... You make emotion-led and foolish deeds. Now, what I mean by that is that when we become believers, we should be making all of our major decisions by how? Submitting ourselves to the Spirit of God. Father, what do you have to say about this? It's not that hard. He says, ask, seek, and knock. He tells us to do it. He says, I'll give you answers. He says, ask, and you're going to find. He says, seek, and you're going to find. He says, knock, and doors are going to be open. He says, but watch. He says, I own the time. Just chill, son. Just come to me. So... What happens instead? I want to take control, so I'm going to make decisions not spiritually, but emotionally. What's my emotion say? How do I feel? And that's how I'll make my decisions. Anybody else ever experience that? Whoa, right? And they, as a result, they do foolish deeds. There's a second sign. Third sign. People who are not living according to the Spirit, who are not submitted to the will of God, they typically live in panic or fret or worry. You want to get rid of worry in your life? Start living according to who you are. Not to, according to what's going on around you. Who you are. And, who, and whose you are. Fourth thing. They forget the cross, the gospel, and the word. Or when they do look at the word, let's look at this particular verse and let's get real anal on this verse. Right? Oh my goodness. Stop and read the word of God. Ask him what it's saying. Don't use your intellect. Your intellect is stupid. 
The Bible tells us clearly that the word of God is foolishness, save for having the Holy Spirit. I have to interpret his word through his spirit. Say, Father, speak to me. And what's he say? Yes, son, thank you for coming and asking. And he will. Here's the other thing they do. Uh, the spiritual deafness. They say, I'm sorry, I, I just don't hear from God. Really? Are you abiding in him? Have you given your life to him? You spending most of your time just in him, looking at his words, spend some time in prayer, asking him about decisions? He's never left you. By the way, I can stop right now and say, oops, I'm about to have a meeting with Sally. Father, just help me to be with Sally. Um, help, give me some wisdom. Help me hearing the words that she really says. I love Sally. Um, help me to hear what she's really saying and help me just serve Sally. Father, it's all about you and it's all about Sally. Okay, I can have a meeting with Sally. Good enough? So they have spiritual deafness. The other one, a big one, uh, when you start to have pride, rebellion, and you're unteachable. Whoa. When it's about me. When I've decided I already know what I know, don't teach me anything else. I've kind of just negated the Bible because the Bible kind of tells me I have a lifetime of continuing to learn. And he says it's, it's a kind of a progressive illumination of the word. He says, I actually have things to teach you. Come to me. He says, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Really? Yeah. That's fun. <laughs> That's fun. So what happens is when you start to introduce rules, uh, here's the rules, and don't tell me anything else. Okay, the seventh thing. Uh, I know this one. Impatient, take control. Uh, I don't like God's time frame. It needs to happen now. Do you not know there's a deadline on this mortgage? Do you not understand there's a deadline that I have with this other situation? I have to get this done by fall because then I'm going, no, God doesn't have a deadline except for one. That is your death when you go to heaven. Until then, I have an opportunity to serve him. That's my only deadline is I get to serve and be a blessing to others until he takes me home. That's the only deadline I have. Everything else is I impose the deadline. Okay. Little faith. Well, I just don't believe God will do this. Well, then you're probably right. (laughs) Whether you say you will or you won't, whether you say you can or you can't, you're probably right. Have you asked God, though, or is that your decision? Craving number nine, craving and building a worldly identity. Woo, I'm all about what I can achieve on this earth and what I do. No. When Christ died and you accepted him as your Savior, he actually wants to fulfill in you the Abrahamic covenant. Back in Genesis 12, God gave a promise to Abraham that was fulfilled with Christ. And essentially he said this, I will bless you and the world will be blessed through you. So when we are saved, we are blessed to be a blessing. The rest of my life should not be about Bob Rockwell. It should be, Father, I'm your servant. How can I be a blessing to others? And life's a whole lot of fun when you do that. And it's not that hard because I can't figure it out. I just ask God. Am I hearing anybody kind of catching some of this? Is that making sense? Okay. And then the last one, and this is a big one because I can go to this pretty easily, self-help and self-rule. That's a big one. So those are some evidences that individuals can get bewitched. Now, Don't blame people when this happens. It can happen and has happened to all of us. It started to happen in our church. It started to be Jesus plus rules. And God publicly confronted that. We don't need the details, but he publicly confronted it. And it it hurt. It hurt for me. It hurt our church, right? But imagine the impact of us all of a sudden we become a rules-based church. Where's the grace of God? Where's the fruit of the Spirit? No, there's going to be fruits of condemnation and judgment and assessment. That's not the church I belong to. I belong to the church of, this church of Christ with you people. And I trust that every one of us in this room also want to exhibit more of, of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? And we're only going to do that through submission. We can't work for it. Don't look for me to teach you how to do it. I can't. But the Father has already said he will. It's kind of cool. 
So, given this, what's the answer? What do I do? Well, it's the same answer that's always been. It's the same answer that usually makes us feel uncomfortable. Submission to Christ in us. Stop. That's it. Well, what else, Bob? Stop. That's it. <laughs> He'll give you the steps because he's wired each one of us differently. And it tells us in, 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 uh, in Ephesians 2.10 that he has plans for us. That he actually created for each one of us before he created the world. That should knock our socks off. <laughs> really? Yep. How do I figure out what that plan is? Uh, open your heart up to me and then open your eyes up to what I put in front of you. Okay, I can do that. Cool stuff. So it's really not that tough. So our mission as a church has never changed. It's not any different. Even though we don't have a senior pastor right now, has our church somehow come to an end? Scott talked about this last week. Did Jesus leave the building? He said, uh, absolutely not. Do we still have the Live Sent mission? Do we? Yes. Are we still called to serve and engage and nurture and trust in the Lord for all the results and for all the actions? Yes. Nothing's changed. Nothing has changed. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. But let's take a look at the next uh, slide I want to take a look at, which is the second part of the message that I actually got from summer camp with the kids. And when they gave us this theme verse, it really, it really spoke to me. The priesthood of believers. And here's what it is. 1 Peter 2.9. It says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Girls remember this, right? A holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous, into his wonderful light. I know it is marvelous light. Um, so look at this, folks. Do you know that you're a chosen people here at Willowbend Church? Do you know it? Not do you feel it. Do you know it? The truth is right here. Do you know that you are a royal priesthood? Have you ever thought of the fact that we are the priesthood? A priesthood of believers? Do you feel like a holy nation? Do you know that you're a holy nation? Do you know that you are God's special possession? Created in Christ Jesus before the creation of the world. In other words, he thought of you before he thought of the world. Do you know that? Do you live like that? And then he called you out of the darkness when you recognize who he was. He called you out of the darkness and into his light. And we get to declare the praises of who we now are. I praise God I am not the Bob Rockwell who was born onto this earth. But I am the Bob Rockwell who has been born again of the Spirit of God. Praise God. So... We are a priesthood of believers here. We are not on hold until we get a new pastor. We are not stagnant until we get a new pastor. We're not wondering, you're flopping around wondering what we're going to do until we get a new pastor, are we? We've been given a live sent mission. There is nothing that stops us from growing this church. There is nothing that stops us from enhancing the ministry. There is nothing that stops us from adding a new ministry. If we come together in prayer and in unity and submit to one another and never give up unity and go in unity before the elders and the, and, the, and the ministers of this church, there's nothing that God cannot do and will not do. God is not sitting back like this and saying, yeah, there's a little bit in church. Oh, I guess I've got to get a new pastor. When I get a senior pastor, then we'll kind of start working again. No. <laughs> He's never said that. That's our individual choice, folks. That has never happened. So I want to read something that I actually wrote because I don't want to mess this up. I, so I really kind of was, it was interesting. I think God just kind of gave me this. We are not waiting for a senior pastor to lead us. We are using a process that I believe given by God to affirm God's selection of a senior pastor who he already selected, who will join us, who will continue to teach us, who will help us mature, who will encourage us as we together 
with the senior pastor. Fulfill the mission that we already have. Amen? So God is going to bring to us his choice of senior pastor. And he will join us in the ministry that we've already been given. And I am convinced and I am hoping and I am praying that when that man shows up, that he will find a church that already loves, that already lives sent, that is living in righteousness, peace, and joy before the Father, that is experiencing the abundant life that Christ died for, that is inviting now that pastor and his family to come in and join us in the work that we've already been doing. And he should come here saying, wow, I want to be a part of this family. So, is that where we are? I will tell you that's the heart of your elders and the ministry leaders here at this church. That's their heart. They're not on hold. I know, going every Tuesday morning to staff meetings. We're not on hold. We're not waiting. We're doing the ministry God gave us. And we're looking forward with joy to what he will do. We expect we're going to welcome a new member at some point to our church. And that person is going to walk into a congregation, a group of people, who are simply living and exhibiting the fruit of the Holy Spirit of being submitted to him. So I will do everything I can to encourage all of us. Are we submitted to the Holy Spirit of God? Because the Holy Spirit of God is the one who's going to bring us a senior pastor. Amen? Amen. It's not that hard, folks. we just got to be careful to stay out of the way and not take control. This is going to be exciting. I just think it's going to be exciting. So, last slide. Are we bewitched or bewildered? No. We believe God is who he is. We believe God is large and in charge. And this is God's church. And we are here for a purpose. Do you? Do you believe you're here for a purpose? So, we're going to continue to do the ministry that he gave us. And I'm going to do it. I don't know about y'all. I'm going to do this with joy and expectation. So, I'm going to suggest to you, invite your friends and your family and your neighbors to come get on the ground floor of something that's really exciting. I trust God's going to do some work. And I'm going to encourage every one of us, if you haven't journaled before, start to journal and expect to be amazed at the coincidences, at the circumstances That's the things that God is going to do. That's normal life. If you journal, you actually will see it. The signs and the wonders of God have not stopped. Unlike what a lot of people say, the Holy Spirit is not dead. He has not been muted. He is not somewhat less than he was in the first century of the church. Amen? So the choice is ours. So invite your friends to come. Join us. This is going to be exciting. And you really don't want them to miss it, do you?